everybody, it's Allie, and welcome back to our YNR chat. It's Sunday, July 1st, 2012, and this is my very first YNR chat from my new location. Can you even tell the difference? <laughs> the difference is I'm way happier. I hope everything looks good, sounds good. I still have some kinks to work out. There's a strong possibility that there might be a little bit of an echo on the audio, but if that's the case, I'm going to do my best to fix it and improve upon it week by week. But this is what we're working with now. It was so hard to not talk to you guys last week. I was so crazy busy. There was absolutely no time to stop and do anything other than move. But I was with you. My heart was with you. What a horrible week to not be talking about YNR. So much happened. I'm so excited and I can't wait to talk to you about it today. I almost don't know where to start. <laughs> so I think... I'm going to just kind of try to talk about things a little bit chronologically because I don't want to miss a beat. I mean, even the stuff that happened last week was good and I still want to talk to you guys about it. Starting with the fact that Daisy found <laughs> a video of Ricky murdering his girlfriend. Wow. I, like, oops. Ricky accidentally leaves the camera on while he's murdering his girlfriend and then doesn't delete the file? He leaves it on his laptop for anyone to find? I mean, how did Daisy even find it? Was, was the file named that time I killed my girlfriend dot vid? <laughs> it was ridiculous, but very telling. Ricky seems to have I don't know, this weird side of his personality where he he refuses to be rejected by women, and that's what sets him off. The, the girlfriend tr tried to break up with him, and he got all crazy on her. He had obviously drugged her before that. She's sitting in the bathtub, starting to get a little woozy, and as she tries to break up with him, he flies off the handle and drowns her. Just pushes her right underwater and drowns her to death. And Daisy sees this information, is shocked, obviously, realizes the kind of guy that she's been in cahoots with. Although Daisy's pulled some pretty bad stunts in her day. I don't I don't know. Holding somebody hostage in, in a cage is also pretty bad. I mean, torturing someone is pretty bad. Uh, so I don't know if she's the one to be casting stones. But murder is something that Daisy doesn't have under her belt. So she immediately gets freaked out by seeing this video and uh, goes to Michael. Arranges a meeting with Michael, who doesn't want take time to meet with Daisy, obviously, but decides that he needs to since he's the new district attorney. So Daisy schedules this meeting with Michael in an alley in a bad part of town. <laughs> and by the time Michael gets there, she's gone. She has disappeared. And the story sort of unraveled in a little bit of a pieced together sort of way because we didn't realize until later that Ricky had gotten to the alley with Daisy and they obviously had some kind of confrontation or something that had happened. Daisy wasn't, you know, he followed Daisy to this alley. He must have known that she was going to go and, and rat him out, but he followed her to the alley and something happened and now Daisy is gone. She's gone missing and 
Michael and and Kevin seem to want to know where she is. They uh, Michael's curious about what information she couldn't wait to tell him. And Kevin, it's his sister. He wants to try to find her. And so they're the only ones that seem to really be genuinely worried about Daisy. Because you have um, this other layer of Avery, for instance, who is pursuing this whole duty to aid, I think what it was what it was called, lawsuit. They're essentially trying to get Daisy prosecuted for hearing Phyllis cry out for help and not doing anything to help her. There was there's apparently a law that if and I think um like I think there are similar laws across the country. It's like a good shepherd law. If you see somebody in distress, you're required to help them. The problem with the argument as I see it though, just on a side note, I can't help but mention this is that okay they have video footage of Daisy standing outside of Phyllis's door but there's no sound to it so you can't prove that Phyllis was crying you can't prove that Phil that, that Daisy could hear through the door that doesn't like th- this doesn't establish the time that Phyllis was miscarrying do you know what I'm saying like I just don't see that that's going to help they're, they're never going to be able to prosecute her for that they can't prove that she heard anything there's no audio so whatever it's that just to me seems like they were grasping at straws a little bit and clearly they are Phyllis wants Daisy out of the picture Daniel wants Daisy out of the picture they both have reason to want her out of the picture Uh, it's Daisy what was it last week or the week before found out the truth about what Phyllis did to Christine and Daisy was dangling that over Phyllis's head saying you're going to support me in this marriage with Daniel or I'm going to tell the cops exactly what you did to Christine, which personally, I think Phyllis had more reason to do something to Daisy than anyone would. I think that she has the most to lose. She has the proven pattern of behavior, but... At this point in the story, uh, there's an arrest warrant out for Daisy. There's an APB and everyone is looking for her until it starts to look like something foul play happened because Ricky is going out of his way to make it look like Daniel is the one that murdered her, which to me, I don't even know why he would do that. Why wouldn't he try to make it look like Phyllis did it. Phyllis is the one he's been wanting revenge for all these months. Then he goes out of his way to make it look like Daniel is the one that killed her. Doesn't make sense. Also, like, Ricky's making these phone calls to, like, from Daisy's cell phone for a bus ticket or a pizza. And he's making these phone calls, making charges on her credit card, and the entire time saying that he's her husband trying to make Daniel look guilty. Well, why would Daniel, if he was trying to, like, the point is that Ricky's trying to make it look like Daniel's trying to make it look like Daisy is on the run, as if Daniel was covering up for his own tracks that he murdered Daisy, which is ridiculous because if Daniel was doing that, why would he go around telling people, yeah, this is her husband on the phone? That's so obvious. That connects him immediately. That makes no sense whatsoever. There's no way that Daniel would identify himself. It's so stupid. That's so stupid. But at the same time, both 
Phyllis and Daniel are acting really shifty. Something happened. I don't know what. Daniel is not entirely innocent. Obviously, some, I mean, I don't know. I think maybe I'm going to back that up. He's entirely innocent of Daisy's murder, but something has happened at the especially there's some kind of gap in time between like right before Phyllis and Daniel got to the gala and they were both acting all weird. Daniel suddenly has this mysterious bruise on his hand and they they found Daisy's scarf at the scene in this alleyway where she was supposed to meet Michael and it's got blood on it. They ran a test and it's Daniel's blood. So, that's it, it seems so coincidental to me, and I'm sure that it is, but that doesn't really matter at this point because they're looking for someone to charge and all of the evidence is pointing toward Daniel. This week, Daniel is arrested in suspicion with Daisy's murder. He's, he's like the least likely suspect. You know, you can't... Daniel has been walking around town for at least the last couple of week, weeks saying stuff like, I wish I could just get rid of her. Uh, uh, I wish she would just, I wish I could just push her down a flight of stairs. I'm pretty sure he said something like, I wish I could just push her down a flight of stairs. So he should have known better than just going mouthing off like that about his wife. Whether, it, you know, he could have anticipated what was about to happen or not. That's really, really bad move on his part. But really, Phyllis is the one who Michael or the police or anyone else should be looking at. Phyllis was the one with the most to lose. Phyllis, this week, or I'm sorry, last week, after Daisy blew the whole story open about what she did with the hit and run and Christine, Daniel ended up finding out about it, and Phyllis had to explain herself to her son. It was really awkward. I was surprised that Phyllis admitted it, I half expected her to just continue to lie to Daniel, but she didn't. She told him the truth and said, I need you to stand by me through this. And they did. They kind of bonded over it. But there is this moment that I have to mention where after all of these years, Phyllis explained where she was coming from with the Christine hit and run. Daniel obviously had a ton of questions and she tried to recount her side of the story. And she said that, she, you know, Christine was engaged to be married to Paul. And I think the night before, Phyllis saw Christine kissing Danny, who Phyllis was obviously madly, crazily in love with. And this ticked Phyllis off so much, she was tired of everybody seeing Christine like this perfect Snow White angel, very similar to Sharon. And she wanted to expose her. She wanted to get her back. But the thing is, like, you could have gone about that so many other different ways, Phyllis. If if you just wanted to expose Christine, if you just wanted people to see what she was really like, you could have just told everybody what she was really like. But instead, Phyllis goes, rents a car, wipes out the records of having rented the car, and then goes and plows Christine over. And what shocked me was how Phyllis said to Daniel, I I tried to swerve. I didn't mean to hurt her, which I think is completely untrue. I love you, Phyllis, but that's a lie. You meant to hit Christine. There was no, oops, I accidentally hit the accelerator when I meant to hit the brake. Please! <laughs> She said, oh, I just wanted to scare her. Give me a break. 
<laughs> if there was one thing I know for sure in my heart was that she intended to, it was premeditated. She rented the car. She didn't do it just to scare her. It, that's absurd. I feel like that's the story that Phyllis has convinced herself of in order to deal with what she's done. And, you know, I don't dislike Phyllis in any way. I don't feel like what's happening to her now is karma or something. I just think that that was a load of BS and I wanted to point it out. And I don't know if that's going to continue to come out. I'm sure that it will. I'm sure that it's, does it feel like we've just been here six months ago, you know, with this whole murder storyline? Because that's how I feel. Because I'm sure that the attention is going to shift away from Daniel within the next week or two. And the spotlight's going to be shined right on to Phyllis. And everything is going to come out about the hit and run. Probably Daniel will be called to testify. Who knows if he'll tell his, you know, what he knows or not. But I wonder what Nick is going to say when he finds out about it. Because she's been saying to Nick, I feel like this, everything that's happening right now, losing the baby and what's going on with Daniel is some kind of karma. It's some kind of bad mojo coming back to me. And Nick is so reassuring, telling her, that's not it at all. You're a good person. He said on Thursday, you're a good person. And he is supportive of her 100%. But I cannot help but wonder what this is going to do to their relationship once he finds out what she did to Paul and Christine, because that lid is not going to stay on the bottle for very much longer. You can bet on that. So we are setting up this scenario where we have a assumed murder and a bunch of suspects, and we have Lauren as well. Lauren managed to get a hold of another gun. <laughs> Way to go, Lauren. She hooked up with some kind of shady dealings dude. Met him at the high-class athletic club. Why Why didn't you do that deal in the, a back alley or something? Or meet in a private place? If you're going to buy a black market gun, Lauren, come on. Especially when you're on probation for wielding a gun. Why don't you be a little more on the DL about that? But no, Lauren just shamelessly gets, gets herself another gun. And it wasn't until after the whatever happened to Daisy incident that Paul ended up talking her into giving the gun to him. So Lauren, in all, uh, in all reality, is a quote-unquote suspect as well. Um, I don't... <laughs> Michael doesn't know anything about that. Michael's, you know, going through trying to look at all of the evidence right now that's pointing toward Daniel no, with no idea that his wife is a suspect as well. She's right up under his nose, and I'm sure that he's going to find out about that sooner or later. Michael is all over this case. He's he's all up in it. And I'm, like, I'm watching Michael lead this investigation, and I'm thinking, is Michael the chief of police now too? Because last time I checked, <laughs> lawyers just working, you know, I mean, he, he should be working in the courtroom. He should be working on, you know, prosecuting the person, not going out and getting evidence. Since when is a lawyer an investigator? I love Michael so much. <laughs> but I, I, I just can't help but notice that. It's just weird. He's in there with the police. Like, <laughs> 
needs a chief of police then or something too, because this is way too much to be on Michael's shoulders, and it's also not entirely believable. I, the, the thing that just gets me is, again, I feel like we were just here. Like, it's another situation where someone is assumed dead and there are a bunch of suspects anybody could have done it could have been phyllis or daniel or lauren or ricky who knows it could have been someone who wasn't even on the scene at the time maybe nikki killed daisy have you considered that yet it's like i don't i don't mind a murder <laughs> at all that's fine a murder is fine with me but another who done it so close to the last one that was drug out so long and everybody agrees. It that, That's just, just, it feels predictable. It feels annoying. I see similarities between what happened with Diane and what's happened with Daisy. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's the same thing I said about Diane and I ended up being wrong, but I will place my bet on this one. Daisy is not dead. She is not dead. There's no way. It's, is it a coincidence that she told Ricky that she wanted his help getting her out of town? Ricky revealed a lot this week about a lot of the things he's done, but never did he say that he killed Daisy. He said that he nobody's ever going to find her. And that was what she wanted. She wanted to get away. The heat was starting to... Which is, the heat was starting to get hot. <laughs> Even though the whole duty to rescue thing could so have been fought, could so have been avoided. There was no way she was going down for that. It was such a minor thing. Of all the things that Daisy's done, that was such a minor thing in the scope of what she's done that I can't believe that was what pushed her to leave town. But that's what she seemed to want to do. And she seemed to want to get revenge on Daniel and Phyllis. And I 100% believe that Daisy is alive she is aware of what's going on, and she's very, very happy to let Phyllis and Daniel or Lauren or Ricky take the rap for her murder when she's not even dead. The only person who seems to believe that she is a, a somewhat of an innocent or that, you know, something that, that she's being genuine is like Kevin and Chloe and it's getting to me because he acts like she would never leave Lucy like it's it's it, like that's the evidence that leads them to believe that she it has been murdered or she's being held against her will somewhere because she would never leave leave never leave Lucy um she would never leave town without her daughter and I'm sorry am I the only one that remembers that Daisy left Lucy just moments after giving birth to her Well, in Kevin's defense, he wants to give his sister the chance that his brother Michael gave to him. If you want to talk about people who were psychopathic and then became redeemed, upstanding members of the community, Kevin is the poster child. All the way back to when he first came onto the show, Kevin tried to kill Colleen. He tried to toast her. He was a pyro. He was really creepy. He locked her in a freezer, I want to say, or he locked her in some kind of 
house. He locked her up and then tried to set fire to the place. In fact, I think he tried to kill Colleen on a couple of different occasions. He was a bad, bad guy. And just through the magic of, of soap operas, <laughs> he has now just become this really good person and, and like a cool guy. He's had a lot of missteps along the way, i.e. the chipmunk thing. But, and obviously Kevin is a, 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 he's a deeply disturbed person deep down, but he's been somewhat redeemed, you know, and he feels that he has become this good person because people gave him a chance, and he just wants to give that same chance to Daisy. So I do get, I get it, I get where Kevin is coming from. She's his sister, after all. They share blood, and they share a father, and, and that's something that that Kevin cares about. He cares about his family, and he's worried about her. He has this feeling that something is wrong. She was really trying. And his other sister, Eden, (laughs) wants to help. She wants to find out where Daisy was, find out what happened to her, and in large part because she has a feeling that Ricky has something to do with it. Eden has had a bad feeling about Ricky as... For a long time, as soon as she started getting to know Ricky, it doesn't take very long before you realize that he is jacked up. And Eden knows that Ricky and Daisy were in cahoots together. They had something to do with each other. She saw them kissing. She knew that. And I think that was after. No, I'm sorry. I think that was before Daisy married Daniel. But still, Eden realized that they're two really bad seeds and anything that they're doing together is bad news. So Eden decides to take it upon herself to go fishing for information. Daisy's missing. She wants to see if she can have an in with Ricky. She had been laying the groundwork a little bit for a week or so before apologizing to Ricky, saying she was sorry she kicked him out and she still wanted to hang out and be friends. And so she goes to Ricky's hotel room, says she wants to hang out with him, lures him out of his hotel room down into the athletic club. And then when he's downstairs waiting to have a couple of drinks, she goes back up and starts to snoop around in his room where she finds Daisy's wallet and Daisy's cell phone that Ricky was making all of those fake calls supposedly from Daniel from. And they're stuffed up underneath his couch. Eden finds them, shoves them into her book bag, and tries to get away. Now, I just want to say, Eden, I really appreciate... I, I like Eden more this week. She's finally starting to do something. She's really beautiful, and it's been nice to see a little something different from her. Um, but at the same time, the entire time I'm yelling at the screen, don't touch them. Don't touch the wallet. Don't touch the cell phone. As soon as you, in fact, if that was me, I wouldn't have done that at all. I would not have gone into Ricky's room. He is bad news. You can feel it in your bones that he's bad news. Why get mixed up in, you know, in it with him? She had access to Paul. She could have asked Paul. She could have tipped him off to go do it. I wouldn't have if I was her. And furthermore, if I had gone back to Ricky's room and started snooping around, the second I found the wallet and the cell phone, I would have shoved it back where it was. I would have ran the hell out of there and I would have called the police and told them about that. As soon as she moved the evidence, it was tampered with. It was absolutely useless. It was no good. So I was just screaming for her to get out of the room but instead she takes the wallet and the cell phone, shoves it in her backpack, tries to get out of the room 
And as soon as she opens up the door, Ricky is standing there. And she tries to make up a story about, oh, she left her bracelet in his room and the maid let him let her in. Which I'm surprised Ricky bought. <laughs> I think that Ricky really just wants to hook up. I think at this point he, he wants to little, get a little something something. Uh, he's had his eye on Eden for a long time. In his brain, she wants to have sex with him and so he lets it slide. And it's what ensues. Oh my gosh. It was such a, a really interesting and kind of, I mean, it was just an interesting scene because after Eden kind of talks her way out of the fact that she just found her way back into his room, Ricky starts getting really sexually aggressive with her. He's trying to smooch her and she's wriggling out of it. And it was weird. Like, I don't even know how he like it. You can't understand Ricky. I mean, it's very difficult to understand Ricky because he's a psychopath. He's a sociopath. There's something completely off about him because Eden said she wanted to hang out. She didn't say she wanted to make out, buddy. She didn't do anything to imply that this was going to turn into a sexual situation. And yet he starts putting the moves on her. It was so rapey. Like Ricky got rapey with Eden really, really quick. And it was just, I was shocked. I was so shocked. And as soon as Eden started to realize, like, ew, not only is he clearly involved with whatever's happened with Daisy, now he's trying to get all up on me. I would have sprinted for that door so freaking quick. But instead, she wriggles out of his <laughs> touch and kind of says, no, oh, I don't feel good. My stomach is a little upset. I just, I gotta go. Ricky runs off into the other room, comes back in two seconds with a handful of pills and a drink of water and says to her, um, here, why don't you take these? She goes, what are they? He says, oh, they're Ricky's magic pills. They'll make you feel better. Ricky's magic pills. <laughs> Moment of the week. Everything else that happened was phenomenal on inconceivable levels, but Ricky's magic pills. <laughs> Well, for me, that was the moment. That was just the moment. Like, let's, I can't just let that go. Like, I need to digest that for a moment. Because, like, what, what woman would be like, okay. <laughs> like, in what right mind? Like, okay, uh, I, I'm trying to not have sex with him. Um, but, and I'm not interested in him at all. But now he's offering me magic pills. Sure. Ricky's magic pills. He should bottle that. Like, we should brand that. <laughs> Ricky's magic pills. Dang. That was good. I hope you guys caught that and enjoyed it as much as I did because, ugh, I so did. But Eden, I can't believe it, but decides not to take Ricky's magic pills and tries to get away. She tries to just sprint for the door. She ends up dropping her bag and all of Daisy's stuff just pours out and that's the moment that Ricky realized exactly what was up that Eden had been snooping in his room and more importantly that was um that was the moment when Ricky shifted from rapey mode to murdery mode it it 
was on a dime the way he he shifted. There was just this struggle between them. He grabbed her. They started fighting and it ended up she tried to run into the bathroom and lock the door to get away from him, which also was a bad idea. Like with all of your might, Eden, head toward the front door or scream or something. And she but instead she goes into the bathroom. He busts through the door. They're fighting, fighting, fighting. And he ends up throwing her against the like porcelain. I guess it's porcelain bathtub and she bonks out her head I mean just all, oh, she's got this giant head wound she's out cold and on the floor and oh god Ricky's face when that happened just he was so happy he felt good about the fact that she had been knocked out and now that was going to make it easier for him to do what he wanted to do the actor Peter Port was so good I, he was so good at every step along the way for the past two weeks especially he really took it up a notch you could tell the the emotion that was coming from him the the pure evil the pure concentrated evil that was coming from him uh and 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 the sick enjoyment that was coming from him It, it it was so good it was so just quintessential villainy. I felt like he was such a psycho killer. Like, you get that vibe from him that it's evil beyond even what our minds can conceive of as evil. And Ricky sees that she's out cold, is is tantalized by it, is titillated by it, I think, realizes now he has to kill her. He, and not only that he has to kill her because she knows something of his secret, but he wants to kill her. He pulls out the old butcher knife. I don't even know why he had a butcher knife. Hotel rooms don't usually include a butcher's block, but he had a butcher knife on him, which I think was very similar. I think it was like the same thing that Isabella did. I'm pretty sure that Isabella came at Christine with a big old butcher knife. So he's taking this page from the book of mom with his butcher knife, and he starts to try to go finish the job he wants to kill Eden and that is when Paul arrives now I cannot even tell you guys how much I have enjoyed Paul throughout this whole thing this week last week within the last couple weeks I love the pull here I love that Paul is caught between the guilt of knowing that he wasn't there for Ricky as a father and kind of wanting to know his son. And on the other hand, having this gut instinct, knowing that something was wrong with this kid. It has created a really cool dichotomy in Paul. And I love how it was starting to make him look crazy. It seemed like everything in Genoa City that was going on Paul assumed it was Ricky, and no one else really believed Paul. No one else... I mean, after the whole bomb scare thing, that's what really started making Paul look unbelievable. It started making him look unstable, like he was going over the edge, when the entire time we all know that Paul is right. And it just... Doug Davidson really, really blew me away this week. He His emotion was right there. He was the hero this week. Um, there, there were several times where Paul tried to talk to Ricky. He tried to reconcile with him in a very genuine way. After Paul thought, well, maybe I am being unreasonable, he decided that 
he was going to try to reach out to Ricky. And there was a scene, I think it happened last week, actually, where... Paul went to go visit Ricky and they started trying to talk and Ricky said something like, you're out to get me and I don't understand why. Is it because I'm Isabella's son? Is that it? And you, you, we really started to get a full understanding of Ricky's character I mean, exactly how he felt. Uh, tossed aside by Paul. He said, I had a mother who was in a mental institution, whereas other kids had parents who would go pick them up and take them to Little League. I had to go visit my mother in a mental institution until she started to get too crazy and they had to sedate her. I had a father who would just send me cash on my birthday and I had a grandmother and grandfather who were too old to be caring for a little kid. They didn't understand me. They didn't have the energy to keep up with me. And so every Everything that Ricky has done, he's had to do it on his own. And believe me, I am not trying to sympathize with him at all. I've, I have passed the point of wanting to, quote unquote, redeem Ricky. He is he's pure, pure psycho. It's just that it does give a little bit of insight into why he is the way he is. He even mentioned to Paul that, you know, I wanted to be an investigator just like you did. And I, and I do believe that. I do think that he had that in him. And that's why he wanted to write his story about Phyllis. That's why he, he wanted to work at Restless Style. He wanted to get the story about Heather. He wanted, he had that same instinct as Paul had, that investigative instinct. It just had also like this psychotic twist to it. So he really, like Ricky really was the perfect uh, marriage, I guess. He was, he's clearly Paul and Isabella's child. And it just, it really came full circle for me in understanding his character. Um, unfortunately, it was just too little too late. <laughs> I, I, I have to applaud YNR so much for what they did with Ricky. You know, it's, it's been a good ride. Anyway, slice it. However it turns out, it has definitely been a good ride. And it's brought a lot of depth to the character of Paul, I think, too. Paul was a really big hero this week. Um, after they had that final uh, talk, they're trying to have a heart-to-heart -heart in the in Ricky's hotel room while, while Eden is passed out cold in Ricky's bathroom about ready to be murdered. Um, which, by the way, I noticed that, that the athletic club, like those rooms, those hotel rooms, it w for, in Ricky's case, was being shot from a different angle. Like, usually it's shot from the side, um, but at this time we got a, like a totally different view of the room. I knew something bad was going to happen in that room. As soon as I started seeing the different camera angles, I'm like, uh Oh, we've never seen the room from this side before. Something's going down. But after that last conversation between Ricky and Paul, Paul goes to leave, but he sees Ricky's room key on the table, decides to swipe it because he still feels something's up with him. And he, on his way out the door, also sees a book bag. And he was like, he sees, he sees the book bag on the floor and goes downstairs, is about to leave the athletic club completely when it just dawns on him that that's not Ricky's book bag, that's Eden's book bag. What an eye for details, by the way. There was this little emblem on the strap or the, the zipper or something that he, Paul initially thought was a W for Williams, thinking it was Ricky's book bag, but then it's like, it's not a W for Williams, it's an E for Eden! 
in and suddenly just realize that that's Eden's book bag because sure everybody has a monogrammed book bag uh, but who cares because Paul runs back upstairs just as Ricky is about to disassemble Eden with a butcher knife in the bathroom and what ensues is this amazing amazing standoff between Paul and Ricky. Oh, so good. Ricky, uh, Paul, like, busts open the door, sees what Ricky is doing, and implores him immediately to stop. And Ricky's just like, step back, Dad. I'm going to, if you don't step back, I'm going to kill her. And Paul, oh, God, Paul was so cool. Paul steps back, just kind of like, at, looks like he's going to give up a little bit. And then within, like, like a millisecond, Paul comes back with his gun. You think, you think he's, he, like, he just did this move. It was like, he just stepped back, and then all of a sudden, back with a gun. It was awesome. And then there just was this moment where uh, Ricky is screaming, do it. Do it. You want to shoot me? Do it. I have nothing to live for. And Paul's just begging him to drop the gun. Just drop the gun. And Ricky's just shoot me. And uh, just shoot me, Dad. You know you want to. Oh, God. It, it was so good. And then, like, you know, Ricky still has the knife to Eden's throat. And you're trying to look for, is Paul going to shoot him? You kind of know he is. Is But is he going to be able to get a clear shot? When Ricky just drops Eden, stands up, and just basically allows Paul the kill shot. Presents his chest. Kill me, Dad. And Paul could have taken the kill shot, but he didn't. Paul pulls out the gun, and bam, bam, shoots Ricky right in the arm just to disable him. It was such a heart-wrenching moment for Paul. He doesn't want to kill his son, but he realizes that his son is a psychopath. So Paul makes the right decision, goes for the arm, shoots him right in the arm, and the force, I guess, of the bullet push Ricky backwards, and he crashes through the bathroom window and falls onto the, I guess, concrete below. I don't know how far up his hotel room was. That was pretty much the last moment of the show on Friday. I don't know if it was like a three-foot story drop and Ricky will run away wounded or if it was a 13-story drop and Ricky is now splat into a million billion bloody pieces on the concrete below. I have no clue if Ricky's going to live or not. Please don't tell me. <laughs> I don't want to know. I can't wait until next week. It's going to be so interesting. I have a feeling that he's dead. I am preparing myself for him being dead. You know, it, ever since I found out that Ricky was going to be leaving the show, I was very disappointed because I think he has turned out to be a really interesting character. And if you can take someone like Kevin from being a pyro killer into engaged to Chloe, or I'm sorry, engaged, married to Chloe and Mr. Upstanding Community owner of the coffee house, then you could take someone like Ricky and you could keep him around. You could make him a little evil, but, you know, also maybe holding down a job or just mixing things up like like you can be evil without being murdery and rapey but they they really have pushed him over the edge literally at this point he's been been rapey and murdery I have no expectation that he's going to survive I have no expectation that he's ever going to return to the show and I'm just 
coming to terms with that and realizing that if that's the case, if he is never to return to Genoa City, I'm going to be fine with that because damn, was it a hell of a ride. It really was a hell of a ride, especially as the gunshots of Paul's bullets firing out in the athletic club contrasted with the fireworks of everyone in Genoa City attending this concert in the park. Like, it was, it couldn't have been done any better. YNR could not have done a single thing better with this. It has been compelling to me for the, at least the last couple of months. Like, Ricky has been the main character that I've been interested in for the last couple of months, and it has culminated in the perfect way. It's, it's just, YNR, I must give you credit for this because I knew when I found out that Ricky was being written off the show that he was going to go out with a bang. But just that moment of the gunshots juxtaposed with the fireworks, I, I, I'm so satisfied just knowing that, that Ricky went out with a bang, 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 bang! I was pretty sad that Carmine sabotaged the gala because I was looking forward to seeing the gala. <laughs> I like seeing what everybody's wearing. I mean, at least we got to see a few outfits. Personally, I thought that Phyllis was the best dressed. She had this really cool, um, like lime green dress on, but it had these cool jewelry, um, I don't know, details on it. Like it was textured. It was really cool. Um, Lauren, of course, looked really good too. Although everything she wears, I, I, I only see her boobs. It's just like Lauren's boobs walk into the room at least five minutes before she does. And she had this really long necklace to accent her boobs. It's just like, I'm just gonna start calling her boobs instead of Lauren. I also thought, by the way, that Sharon looked really good because she had on this violet colored dress and it was <clears throat> sort of asymmetrical it seemed it was I don't know it was cool I thought everybody looked really really good I was I was it was unfortunate that we didn't get to see more outfits and more hobnobbing that would have been awesome but Carmine decided to sabotage the whole thing. He rigged it so that the trucks with the chairs and the tables and the decorations didn't show up. So he made it look like, uh, well, he made it become a disaster. And not only that, like that was just the tip of the iceberg because this, I was really, really surprised. But Carmine and Chloe go out back of where the gala is being held and Carmine grabs Chloe and throws her in the trunk of his car and is getting ready to kidnap her. Like, he straight, like, he tried to kidnap her. Like, and it's sort of being, like, addressed as if it was a funny situation. Oh, ha, 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 he was going to kidnap Chloe. To me, that's no joke. Throwing somebody in the trunk of a car is no joke. Carmine said a couple of months ago when he first came into town that he was going to take Chloe away. Those were his words. He was going to take Chloe away from Kevin. And he did it with malice. He had this weird vibe about him, his leather jacket and his badness, and he was going to take her away. Why would they ignore that and then let him into their lives? They asked him to bartend the event. Why? I don't know. 
because he's cute. He looked harmless because he's cute, which I don't even know. He looks like Chance to me. He just looks like like a darker version of Chance to me. I almost can't tell a difference. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But luckily for Chloe, Abby walked out back, saw that what was going on, and released Chloe from the trunk of Carmine's car. Chloe runs away, runs back inside to try to get help, and Abby takes it upon herself to jump into the trunk in her place. And Carmine speeds off, thinking he's got Chloe when he's really got Abby. Well, I, I just, what an idiot. <laughs> what an absolute idiot. Her big plan was that she was going to kidnap herself in order to avoid embarrassment over the fact that the gala was a complete uh, bust. So she's in the trunk of Carmine's car, kidnapping herself and live tweeting the whole event. Like, what an idiot. I just, Abby, I'm, I'm not impressed with your little antics. I'm not amused by your little antics at this point. I thought we were over this. I want to like, I want to see a mo more mature Abby. It's not even cute anymore. She's too old for this. It's too immature. I can see something like that coming from Summer or some, one of the teens or something, but Abby is not a teen. She's in her mid-twenties the actress is my age. The actress is over 30. So it just, it's not cute anymore, Abby. You need to grow up and give it up. And no, like, it's, there's a certain faction of people in Genoa City that believe she's genuinely missing. And then there are the realists, like Victor, who realize that this is a stunt. Why would she be live tweeting her kidnapping rather than calling for help? Well, well, well that makes no sense whatsoever. And... Actually, one of the funniest lines, uh, I think, about the whole thing was everybody's at the gala wondering wh what happened to Abby. Did she get kidnapped? And why is she tweeting about her kidnapping? And Ricky walks in and says, who kidnaps somebody and doesn't take away their phone? It was just funny that he approaches it from that angle. He's never the victim. He doesn't think about things from the victim's perspective. He thinks about things from the predator's perspective. But it's absolutely true. Like It's, it's a joke, but it's it shouldn't be a joke. Throwing someone into the trunk of a car is just no joke. And I, I can't roll my eyes hard enough in order to express how I feel about this storyline. It bothers me that Abby didn't even think about how her family would feel about this. It was all about Abby. In fact, I think she said something like that about, it's going to be all about me, me, me. Everybody's going to be wondering what happened to me, me, me. And I got 200 new Twitter followers within the past 15 minutes. It's so... She should just be ashamed of herself. Abby should be ashamed of herself. The only good thing about this entire storyline is the fact that Victor decided to call in the big guns in order to find Abby, and that means the FBI, and that means one detective sex wolf. Yeah! Woo! <laughs> Ronan is back! Sex Wolf is back! 
heck yeah, I love him so much, he's so awesome, his hair looks so good, his hair is like a good color, it's a good length, I hate it when they buzz guys' hair, I like a little length on the hair, it was getting a little too blonde, but when he left, and now it's like a nice dark, maybe with a hint of red, love it, looks so good, he's already had interactions with Phyllis and Chloe, of course, he's come back into town and all of his old flames are now married, so <laughs> that kind of closes some doors. I, I, in a heartbeat, would love to see Kevin and Chloe break up so that Chloe could go with Ronan. I'm sorry, Kevin, I love you. I do. I wish there was somebody, like, there's somebody out there for you, buddy. It just ain't Chloe. And I just would probably melt to find out <laughs> that Ronan and Chloe were going to hook up this time around. But I, just from the research that I've done, <laughs> because I have, of course, um, I think that they're going to hook him up with Heather. We saw a little bit of a preview for Monday's show that, that had Ronan and Heather coming into contact for the first time and him being like, you're working pretty hard. I mean, it's going to be long hours at the office working on all of these cases and he and Heather are totally going to hook up and I'm going to keep my mind open to it. It's not going to be the same as Chloe and Ronan. It's not going to be the same as Phyllis and Ronan. It's a different vibe. They're different characters, but I'm not going to close my mind off to this Heather just because I didn't like the last Heather. I think that this Heather could be good. I'm sure that they cast her with Jeff Branson in mind. I'm sure that they did some auditions with him to see what the chemistry is going to be like. So I think that this Heather and Ronan are were, are manufactured to be together. I think YNR is, is, I think they know what they're doing. Not to mention the fact that I have a feeling, in fact, I read that Jeff Branson is kind of coming back to YNR on somewhat of the condition that they're going to give him something else to do besides have sex. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why he would not want just to be ogled for by thousands of thousands of women. I, I don't know why he would want anything more. But apparently he's looking for something a little more meaty. So uh, certainly Trisha Cast as Nina will not be far behind. I do believe that we're going to finally explore that relationship a little bit more. Maybe we'll finally find out what happened with the kidney switcheroo and what exactly it is that is keeping him from getting close to Nina. There's a lot more to that story that I think we're about to discover and it's going to be fun discovering it because in the meantime, whether he wants, if he wants to do serious storylines or not, it doesn't matter because I'm not going to stop ogling him. <laughs> I like every time he comes on screen, I can't help myself. He just has this effect on me. I, I just, I wonder what it's even like to be so perfect. So while selfish Abby is off doing, I don't know what she's even doing and how she thinks she's going to get out of this. Ashley is at home beside herself, crying, appealing to the media, trying to get her daughter found. And 
it's breaking my heart. Ashley is breaking my heart. The one little tiny ray of light is the fact that Tucker is there to support her one last time because we all know that Eileen Davidson is leaving the show and Tucker has taken this really weird turn. I didn't get a chance to talk about it last week, but I'm not going to miss talking about this. I have to tell you guys, I'm very unhappy with where the character of Tucker is going. Last week, out of the blue, he's sitting at Glowworm, I think it was, having a drink and lamenting, and Harmony shows up and he starts talking to her about how he's, this is just who he is. He likes women. He likes the way they smell. He likes the way they taste. He's just a, he's a poon hound. <laughs> That's what he said. Essentially negating everything that he said to Ashley, negating everything that's happened in his relationship with Ashley, pretending that it never meant anything, that that, it, that he wasn't a changed man, that none of that was true, that ultimately he's just always going to go back to being Tucker, the ladies' man. And I don't accept that. It feels like a complete 180 in his character, and I don't like it. It feels like it's fueled only by the fact that Eileen Davidson has been written off the show, and that makes me angry. And it made me angry the way he started kind of coming on to Harmony. She's sitting there trying to console him and make him feel better, and he said something to her like, you know, I didn't sleep with you for, I didn't, I, you know, he said, I slept with you because I wanted you, Harmony. I was there, okay? That was not the case. When Harmony and Tucker slept together, breaking up his marriage with Ashley, it was not because he wanted Harmony. I am sorry. If Wyatt was to go back and rewrite that history, you just go right ahead. But I was there and I saw it. And the reason he slept with Harmony was because he was despondent about what had happened with Ashley. And he was drunk. He was drunk, 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 sloppy drunk. It had nothing to do with like, oh, I've had my eye on you, Harmony, since you came back into town and I really wanted to hook up and destroy my marriage. That wasn't even in his mind. He has never showed any signs of being interested in Harmony. He's never shown any signs of being anyone interested in anyone other than Ashley since he met Ashley. And now all of a sudden, they're trying to act like he is this ladies' man. He's into Harmony. He's all up in Genevieve. And I do think that Harmony is going to reject, reject, reject him. And he's just going to keep trying. And I have a feeling he's going to keep trying with Genevieve. I just see that that's where this is going. He's going to try to hook up with her, and she'll probably do it. Genevieve is lonely. She doesn't have a whole lot going on. Tucker's rich. Why not? And it bothers me. I'm not happy with this, obviously. It, it makes me feel like in the overall spectrum that YNR booted Ashley for Genevieve to make room. They booted Eileen Je Davidson to make room for Jeannie Francis's salary, which may or may not be true, but it, I'm sorry. It feels like Ashley is just going to get replaced with Genevieve, and I personally like Ashley way more than Genevieve. Charlie and Maddie had their birthday party this week, and it was a nice little family gathering for the Winters clan, and 
there was a moment where everybody's standing there enjoying it. Sophia even came. She still considers herself part of the family. And everybody's just standing there enjoying the party. They look out into the foyer and Harmony is there. And everyone is just... It's become an awkward moment for everyone. Sophia, Neil, Devon, and Lily really wants to be the person who's bonding her family together despite everything that happened with Genevieve she has been pushing Genevieve and Kane together because she believes in that family relationship and she wants to do the same thing with Harmony so she convinces everyone to let Harmony come on in she is a part of the family so Lily goes out into the foyer and invites Harmony to come to the party and at first Harmony's like no thank you that's enough drama for me I'm just gonna get my food to go and I'll be out of your hair in about a second but Lily whispers to Harmony that there's a surprise that she's gonna give to the family and as soon as Harmony hears the surprise she decides that she's going to stay now did anybody else think that Lily was pregnant in that moment, I just thought, oh, they're going to announce to the family that Lily is pregnant again. And I was kind of happy there for a second. Until <laughs> I realized the surprise wasn't that at all. Um, Lily had brought Anna in for the birthday party. She, like, made Anna hang out in the back while they were opening presents. <laughs> and then revealed her when the present opening was over. I thought, well, that's weird. Because she finished, op- Lily finished opening Charlie and Maddie's presents. And then all of a sudden it was like, you can come out now. And I'm sure Anna's like, gee, thanks. I was really kind of getting tired of hanging out in the coat closet. But Anna comes in with a, a gift and it's a little bit of re- a reunion. And Anna is able to start to connect with Harmony. They just have a mother-daughter little chat, and it starts to make Devon really uncomfortable. Devon feels let down by his mother and on so many levels, and it's not just what happened with Harmony and Tucker. There's a lot of other reasons why Devon feels the way he feels about his mother. He's had a lifetime of dealing with her irresponsibility, and that's something that no one else in Genoa City really understands. She's a relatively new element into their lives, and it's something that Anna doesn't understand. She was too young and she's had too little contact with her to really understand the depth of what she's done. So Devon's concerned about the fact that they are connecting and you know rightfully so on some level I think but it wasn't until Anna and Devon had a conversation together uh, where Anna just told him you know what you need to stop being so judgmental. In fact somebody else said to him too I think it was Kane you know, said something like, you gotta learn to forgive your mother. You know, I learned to forgive my mother, Genevieve, and it wasn't that I forgave the things that she had done. I was forgiving her for not being perfect. And it it is, I think... uh, difficult sometimes for children to accept the fact that their parents are human beings. You know, I think as you grow up, you're supposed to look up to your parents. You're supposed to think that they hung the moon and the stars. But as you grow older, you realize that they're just people too. They make mistakes just like you do. And Devon has made his fair share of mistakes too. So in the end, I was really proud of Devon because he approached Harmony and apologized to her and said, you know, will you forgive me for the way I've acted? And it was a nice little moment. So I'm glad that that tension is over now because it was just, I was over it. And it was, it turned out to be a nice little family party, a nice little family day until... (laughs) 
Kane and Lily get a surprise gift from Colin. All right, you guys, I'm saving this one for last. Let's get into it. Let's dive right in. Adam's proposal to Chelsea. <sighs> Here's the thing. I really can't tell if he loves her or not. I really don't know. I feel torn because on the one hand, clearly they have a spark together. They have a good friendship. They are leaning on each other when they don't have anyone else in their lives. They're the only people in each other's lives. They they are together when they needed each other. Adam was there for her when she had to give away her baby. She's been there for him when everyone else in Genoa City was treating him like the pariah. And in fact, Chelsea was there for Adam when he was blind, when Sharon left him, abandoned him blind. Chelsea was there for him. So there's a reason that they feel connected. And all of the Chelsea and Adam fans, there's a reason to like Chelsea and Adam together. But what bothers me was the fact that he was going to propose to her at the gala. I just think that that was telling. I, I'm having a hard time believing that after Adam was so committed to Sharon, after everything that happened on the farm, after everything that happened in New Orleans, Adam never gave up on Sharon. He always loved her. It's always been obvious that Sharon was like the only woman for him. And he, to me, seemed endlessly, hopelessly devoted. Like, for I almost expected, like, I would expect the character of Adam to be with no one else. You know, just that he, if he couldn't have Sharon, he didn't want anyone else. And now he's proposing to Chelsea. And to me, it seemed weird that he wanted to do it in front of everyone in Genoa City. If you wanted to propose to her, why wouldn't you propose to Chelsea in a private setting or in some kind of place that meant something to you two? Why would you take it out into a public place where everyone hates you. Why would you want to have an intimate moment in front of your father who you don't get along with? And most importantly, Sharon, the, the ex-love. To me, it almost seems like Adam wanted everyone to see that he's moving on, which to me says, is this a facade? Is it that he wants everyone to see that he's moving on and maybe even try to convince himself that he's moving on, but I just don't know if it's real. And I don't necessarily think that he knows if he's doing that. I don't think that he's doing it on purpose. I think that was almost an involuntary thing. I don't think he intended to be like, hey, hey, see, I'm marrying her now. I don't think it was a conscious thought. I think it was subconscious, and that's why it feels like a tell into his inner psyche. But I just, I, I just can't tell. I just, I just can't tell. There was this a uh, moment where Chelsea discovered the ring in his pocket and she thought the same thing that I did. She thought, why would you do that? Why would you use me to ha get this revenge on everyone in your family, everyone in your life? Why would you do this? And he was shocked by that. I think he didn't realize that that's what he was doing, uh, but he 
went on to, to try to convince her. You know, she runs away and he goes, runs out to, to catch her and he tells her that he loves her, which is so weird because she told him that she loved him <clears throat> a week or two ago and he said nothing. She straight up, it was, of course, like one of those moments, I think you've all probably had them, where you accidentally slip and tell someone that you love them. You didn't really mean to, but it just sort of slips out. It like overflows. And that happened to her because the weather, she clearly feels for him. There's no question about how Chelsea feels for him. She said, I love you. And he stood there. That has to say something, but now he's following her outside with this ring, telling her that he loves her, and it, and goes this whole speech about how he loves her. Cue the rainstorm. The rain starts pouring down. They're both soaking wet. He's telling her he loves her, telling her he wants to marry her, and Michael Mooney's performance was amazing. His face, like, he's so good. He felt, he seemed so sincere, and it was, like, just, it was a great moment, but at the same time, it felt so one-sided for me. I was feeling Michael Mooney and Adam completely, but I don't feel anything for Chelsea. That's, that's my problem. Like, I know that I'm, I feel like I'm supposed to want this, but I don't. And it's not even just that I feel a stickler for Adam and Sharon. I always loved Adam and Sharon. I've been an Adam and Sharon fan for a long time. But even if, like, if it was somebody else in Genoa City, it probably would have been a different story for me. I'm not holding out on Adam and Chelsea solely because I want Adam and Sharon. I just can't let myself get into Chelsea for some reason. I'm, I'm blocked off, I guess. The problem is I just don't like Chelsea and I don't know if I ever will. I, I don't know what it is either. It's just they've I think YNR has almost tried too hard to redeem her. She was such a conniver when she came in and tried to get into Billy and Victoria's relationship. And I didn't like what she did. And she was really creepy about the baby. That's weird. Getting pregnant and then giving it up. It's just, that's weird. But not only that, it just feels with the GED thing. Lionar's trying so hard to get my sympathy for her. And it's just backfiring. I don't know what it is. For some reason, it's just the more they try, the more I can't help but resist. And I'm not saying that I don't think that Adam and Chelsea have merit. They have a good friendship. I would have rather have seen it develop into a friendship. A marriage is, for one thing, just too fast. That's just way too fast. And I don't feel a romantic chemistry, just for me. I know that there are Adam and Chelsea fans out there, and that's totally good. I'm glad if you guys are into it, but for me, I don't, the chemistry I feel between Adam and Chelsea feels more like brothers and sisters. <laughs> they feel more like brother and sister, like family. I don't feel sexual passion like I did for Sharon and Adam. And what was it? I think I can't remember now, but I think Victor found out that Adam was planning to propose to Chelsea at the gala and Victor decided, you know what, if that's the case, I don't even want to go to the gala. So, which he probably should have. He probably should have forced Sharon to see that moment. But he didn't. Victor and Sharon ended up backing out of the out of the gala. But I'm, I'm pretty sure, you have to forgive me because this was like last week. But I'm pretty sure Victor told Sharon that Adam was planning to propose to Chelsea at the gala. And Sharon 
is doing a pretty good job of trying to pretend that she is unbothered, but she is clearly upset about that. It's like the, the closer and closer that Chelsea and Adam get, the more despondent and kind of mean Sharon gets. Although it's interesting, I am on some level really, really enjoying the new Sharon. It's it always kind of felt like Adam was the bad character, the bad guy, and Sharon is this pure Snow White angel. And now we're devolving Sharon. And in some ways, it almost makes her more worthy of Adam. I like it. I do. There are enough beautiful, perfect young blondes on the show. I like that Sharon is just frankly just becoming a real bitch (laughs) she's a real bitch to nikki and she's a real bitch to pretty much anybody who has um questioned her or anybody who has treated her i mean sharon has been treated like dog dirt by a lot of people in genoa city and now she is starting to get her revenge and she's really wearing the lady of the manor with victor very well i think she's enjoying playing that role it seems like the actress is really enjoying playing that role and i think that the sharon and victor relationship is only gonna go so far we all know it it's not a long everlasting love it's an until victor and nikki get back together or an until sharon and adam get back together or who knows when nick finds out about everything that phyllis has done he may go running back into sharon's arms one way or the other we know that that relationship is doomed to fail and one of my friends uh, sue ellen actually mentioned to me and I, I think it's an interesting point um and I'll leave it for you guys I'll leave you on this note is it possible that Sharon and Victor aren't really sleeping together because we've always seen them just going upstairs and that's it we've never seen a, a bedroom scene with them we always only see kind of the implication of them going upstairs so I'll leave you with that question is it possible that Victor and Sharon aren't really sleeping together Okay. Oh, my podcast people. I love you guys. I missed you so much. It was so hard to not talk about YNR last week while I was moving, but it's, it got, it was overwhelming. I had to move my own stuff. It was physically and mentally exhausting. I have never been so tired. That last, last week was one of the hardest weeks I can even remember, but it is paid off so big. I love I love my new space. I love my new house. I really hope that the audio quality is good on this recording because if I sound like I'm in a basement, it's because I'm in a basement, but it's a really nice basement. It's just I worry there's a could be a little bit of an echo. So if the hopefully the audio quality will be good um, and if not, I will do my best to fix it. And, you know, like I said, they'll be tweaking here and there, I'm sure. But on the overall, I got to tell you, I'm happier than I have ever been <laughs> I was starting to get real unhappy at my last place and this is like a breath of fresh air and it kind of seems like an interesting ending in some ways on Y&R and I'm looking forward to the beginning that's coming. There's everything kind of tying up some loose ends and starting some new storylines and there's a lot to talk about (laughs) and there's a lot to comment back about so I can't wait to hear from you guys why don't you leave me a message you can there's a couple ways 
You can always give me a quick phone call. The phone number hasn't changed. It's still area code 309-588-4569 if you'd like to leave me a voice comment, whatever you're thinking about the show. Or you can, um, let's see, I'm out of practice. You can go to the blog (laughs) at yrchatblog.blogspot.com and you could leave me a comment there. You can also pick up my Twitter and Facebook page if you want to follow me there and chat with me throughout the week, all of those links are on the blog. Or you can also just shoot me a direct email to yrchat at live.com. Any one of those methods will get you straight to me. Uh, I can't, I really, I am excited to hear what you guys are thinking. There's too much going on to not comment. So please find a way to contact me and let me know your thoughts. Mm. I think that's it, you guys. Whew. It's been a long week. But there's so many good things coming up, and I'm excited about sharing them all with you. So everybody, I'm so glad to be here with you. So glad to be back. I missed you. I love you. And I will talk to you again next time. All right? Okay. Bye.